All right, good morning, everyone. If you can make your way to your seats. And if you want to turn on your Bible or turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we are continuing our series, our series on the vision of this church and our vision, and this will be on the screen behind me. Our vision is to be a community that exalts, displays, and declares the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And two weeks ago, Mark gave a message about exalting God and worshiping God. And last week, Kenneth brought God's word to us, and we talked about how we declare this gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to talk about how we display the gospel as a local church. You know, unfortunately, local churches aren't doing so hot lately. Uh, A sad fact is that church attendance in America is rapidly declining. I've got a slide up here that shows how in the last 20 years, there's just this sharp drop. People are finding churches less and less relevant, and they're not attending. And some of that is because culturally, there's just a lot of unbelief in our age, and so people aren't going to churches. But for professing believers, there's also a growing lack of attendance in the gathered church. And some of it can be due to just an individualism uh, where people just think, hey, it's just me and God and I can do my own spirituality. Uh, Sometimes it's convenience. I think with the uh, advantages of having online services, which really does serve uh, particular people who need to be at home or need to stay home on a Sunday, it's a wonderful means of grace. But it can also be very convenient to say, hey, it's a little wet outside. Maybe I'm just not going to make the effort today to be with God's people. So there's a variety of different reasons. Um, But one of the big ones is that our culture has changed quite a bit in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, when you were raising your kid, you never had to worry about youth sports being on a Sunday morning. Like, nobody booked youth sports on a Sunday morning. Sunday was sort of reserved for people to go to their houses of worship or for Christians to go to spend time at church. But society has changed, and so many sports events are happening with kids on Sunday mornings. Uh, People are vacationing, traveling, which is fine, and people can be away. But but sometimes this culture change leads us farther and farther away from the values that God describes for us in his word about the importance of the local church. And then sadly, as I did some research on this, uh, many people are finding the church irrelevant. They fail to see the benefits. Like, why come and hang out with these people that are so different than me? And some of the reasons why is they identify that they don't feel a presence of God in the church. Or they'll go to a church and not really hear teaching from the Bible and say, I'm not really learning about God, so maybe I won't go. But the biggest reason why is that people don't find a sense of community when they come to the church. And the irony is that survey after survey says that this is about the loneliest generation there is. People feeling so alienated and alone and isolated. And yet, what was God's design for his new community of believers? It was for them to gather together. Our text this morning, Acts 2, 42 to 47, paints a picture of a close-knit early Christian community. It underscores a sense of unity and care and spiritual vitality that characterized the early church. And we're going to see some wonderful principles that we can emulate and consider for our church life together. And we're also going to see some of the beautiful benefits of being together as God's people. And so this morning, Shelley Cochran's going to read to us Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we thank you for your word, your word that is breathed out for us and is profitable. It teaches us, it corrects us, it reproves us, and it trains us so that we can be equipped for every good work. And Lord, we pray that your word would go forth now in the power of your spirit and not return void, that it would speak to our hearts about this wonderful topic of displaying Christ as a local church, that we would be a community that listens well here this morning so that we can hear what you are saying to us by your word, your word that is authoritative in our lives. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us now and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for our guests, my name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeeming Grace Church. And uh, my wife and I came to this church in 1993. Is that right? Yeah, 1993. So we've been here a long time. And so in an unashamed way, I am so thrilled that I get to bring this message to you because my life and the life of my family have been so transformed by the privilege of being part of this local church. It's not a perfect church. We've had lots of ups and downs, and there have been bumps and bruises along the way. But in no uncertain terms, our lives are remarkably better because we have had the privilege to do life together as Christians with you. And so I'm excited about this passage because this particular verse and set of verses has spoken to our hearts, and it has really laid for us a vision and a foundation for why we order our lives the way that we do around the local church and why the local church carries such a weight and an importance in the way that we think about doing the Christian life. And so I'm excited here today about this message. And the main point that I want to talk about today from the text is that Jesus' disciples are a spirit-filled community displaying Christ to one another. And let me say that again. Jesus' disciples are a spirit-filled community displaying Christ to one another. You see, God has created community so that we can belong to the body of Christ. He didn't just save us and say, okay, everybody just go off on your own. No, when God saved people, he saves us to himself, but he also saves us to each other. We become the family of God. It's why some of the biblical language talks about how we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family. And not only a worldwide family, but we're a family that is localized in individual churches where we commit to one another to live out what the Bible teaches us about being God's holy community, filled with his spirit and desirous of carrying one another's burdens, serving one another, and in so doing, fulfilling the law of Christ. You see, this passage is descriptive, but not prescriptive. 
I'm not going to give some points to say every single person has to do this exactly the same way. Look, the ideas that we're going to talk about in the scriptures today, these are four principles that we're going to look at in our first point today. But they are principles that can be applied differently in different seasons of your life. They can be applied differently by different churches. But what's important for us to remember about these principles that we're going to look at is that they are timeless. There's never a time in our lives when these different principles shouldn't be functioning in some way in our lives. And we see that from the very beginning because if you look back at verse 42, it says, and they, were, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so the first point is Jesus' disciples are devoted to the essentials of church life. Okay, so four essentials we're going to look at here because what's happening in our text this morning is that Luke summarizes how the thousands of new believers. Now remember, in chapter 2, verse 41, what do we see? We see 3,000 people added to about 120-something-odd people. Like Here's a small group, and all of a sudden the Spirit comes down. 3,000 people added to the church in a moment. But even at the end of our text, we see that day by day there were those being added to the church. So whether it came in a big lump sum with 3,000 people or just day by day, God's plan as the gospel goes forth is that people are going to get saved. Now, we don't save people. It's God who saves people. But when he saves them, he saves them into the body of Christ. He saves them into a local community. He saves them in such a way that they will now have a family that they can be connected to. And so Luke summarizes what this looked like at the very beginning, how they lived out their new faith and devoted themselves to this rapidly expanding community of believers. And in this first point, we're going to see how Luke highlights four means of grace for building Christian community. And even though they are quite ordinary, they produce extraordinary results. So if you see the little thing here, we're going to look at God's word, which is the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, but it's important, and this is why I made this slide, is that we see these things are all interconnected, but what they're all interconnected to is Jesus Christ. The thing that makes Christian community go and the thing that sustains Christian community and the thing that motivates us to be part of Christian community is none other than Jesus Christ, and it's him alone. It's he who unites us. We're united in Christ because when we come to faith in Christ, we, we come into union with Christ. Christ dwells with us. We dwell with him. And by his spirit, we dwell together one another. And so the first thing I'm going to look at, we're just going to look at these four topics here real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each of them because I want to spend time on the second point, talking about the wonderful benefits of what we see and how we live together as God's community. But the first one here is the word of God. This is that first essential means of grace. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Another way of saying God's word. You see, back in those days, the sermons were a regular part of the Sabbath services in the Jewish synagogues. They usually followed the reading from the Torah and the prophets. And so the apostles' teaching, those who were called by Jesus to go and herald his message, well, their message is about the life of Jesus about his birth and his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. 
And the teaching that the apostles bring forth is a teaching that shows us and tells us and reveals to us the significance of God's plan of redemption. How people like you who are sinners, lost and alienated from God, can come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so these apostles are saying this message. They're speaking God's word to us, the words of hope and the words that bring life. And they were receiving the Holy Spirit as this information was coming forward. You see, Jesus gave the apostles the authority to teach and to preach and to make disciples of all nations. They also taught about the Old Testament. We heard that last week from Kenneth, where they'll even go back to a a prophet like Joel and explain how Joel connects to God's plan of salvation in the new covenant. And so apostles' teaching, as I said, is really for us. It's the Old and New Testament. It's God's word for us. It's the word that we sit under. It's the word that is our authority in life. It's the word that informs all that we think, say, and do. And friends, this is what those new converts were devoted to. They were devoted to the word. And I think that this means that they weren't just devoted to the sermons that were being preached, but the idea is they were devoted to the word of God in such a way that they were taking it in themselves, either privately or in small groups. And certainly as the Bible and the New Testament was put together, well, we have the benefit of doing this, where we can study on our own And we can study in small groups and we can go to conferences, but week in and week out, we can come together and hear God's word and be devoted to it. Devoted meaning that it's not just optional. It's something that we persistently and consistently engage in. Why? Because you and I need to be shaped by God's word. God's word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And in God's word, we see who Jesus is and what he has done for us. In God's word, we see how the Holy Spirit comes and fills the new believers and how the gospel goes forth. And in God's word, we find out what God loves and we learn about what God doesn't love. We learn what it looks like to follow him and to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's a quote here from uh, Derek Thomas. It says, the church is a fellowship where the Bible is loved, read, studied, and obeyed. We are to be governed by all that Scripture teaches. And so that's that first essential means of grace. It's the Word of God. The second one is this, fellowship. Fellowship means to have or to share in common with. And so for us, we have fellowship with God because we have union with Christ. Christ in us and us in Christ. And so we have fellowship with him and we have fellowship with God and the Father. We have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that is the author of Christian fellowship. The spirit that resides within each and every one of us who have called on the name of the Lord. And the spirit works in each of us individually. But here's the really cool part. The Spirit works in us corporately, together. You see, it's the Spirit of Christ that unifies us as the body of Christ. We don't just have our own isolated experience of God through the Spirit. No, part of our experience of knowing God is actually being spiritually connected to those whom God has placed around you who are also brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And so the Spirit is at work, and the Spirit is powerful, isn't it? It's the Spirit that turns our minds and our hearts from our self-focus and our desire to live our own ways and instead turns our hearts to exalt God and to love holiness and to delight in Jesus and his gospel and his teachings. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us a love for one another. You see, without the Holy Spirit, I really don't think I would love too many of you. Because the people naturally that I love are people that worship and adore me. So if you want to raise your hand, I'd be happy to, you know, talk to you afterwards. No, but the reality is I'm selfish and I'm self-focused and I like to be worshiped and adored and you don't fit that plan for me. But seeing coming to faith in Christ, my heart got changed. And instead of living for me and my desires, God says, no, you're not supposed to love me and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I know how to love myself, so the bar is pretty high in terms of how I'm supposed to love you. But do you see the change that happens when the Spirit comes and changes our hearts? It's a total change of direction. Everything changes as the Spirit comes and invades our hearts. And what he replaces that selfishness with is not only a love for God, but a deep, abiding, and supernatural love for one another. As different as we are, as complex as we are, as sometimes as hard to love as we are, and I say that with my hand raised first, I'm not the most lovable guy, but you love me. Why? Not because you have to, but because the Spirit of Christ is at work in you, changing your heart towards me, just as he's changing my heart towards you. And this fellowship thing works in a really funny way. I was at community group on Wednesday, and none of the guys came except me. And so we were actually at my house. So there were nine kids, and three of the ladies were there, and Bonnie was there, and then one of the mother-in-laws was there. And I'm sitting there looking around, and we were having our discussion in the living room, and I just had a smile come over my face. I was like, man, I would just never be in this room, <laughs> apart from the grace of God. But here's the catch. I couldn't think of any other place I would have rather been. Why? Because as we shared life together, I learned stuff about them that I didn't already know. It helps me to know how to pray for them and how to care for them. They learned stuff about me, and importantly, we, we spent time in God's Word together, being edified and encouraged. Look at verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, caveat, this is not a call for communism. They actually still own the stuff. Here's the catch. It was their stuff, but they willingly gave it up to serve and to bless others. It wasn't under compulsion. They did it willingly, cheerfully, joyfully, as 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 would tell us to. You see, the early church members loved one another. And they felt a sense of responsibility toward one another. They were now brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they cared for each other in material ways. And they sold things and made sure that everybody had something to eat and a roof over their head. But they also cared for each other spiritually and emotionally. They actually bonded with them. And they carried one another's burdens. 
And so as we were talking about this message as a staff this week, uh, Justin and Edward had a, a really interesting thought, and I, I had thought about it a little bit, but the more the days went by, I thought, you know, that's just a really good illustration. And they reminded me of the story in Mark chapter 2 where the paralytic is lifted up by his friends and taken to the place where Jesus was, and the roof was opened and he was lowered down. And as we were talking, they asked a very simple rhetorical question of the text saying, do you have anybody to lower you down? And as I thought about that, I said, well, yeah, let's think about that. Like, okay, I'm, I'm not paralyzed at this point. However, I have all kinds of hardships and things that make it hard for me to come to, come to Jesus sometimes. And sometimes I'm tired and sad and I don't have the strength. And, and what a blessing it is to see this community of God's people who say, no, we pick one another up and we march over to where Jesus is and we climb up the ladder and we help each other do that, make sure the guy doesn't fall down. And we get up onto the roof and we tear the thatch away and we lower the person down so that they can be with Jesus. What a picture. So not only do I want to be one of those guys who helps people go to Jesus when they need help, but I've also learned over the last few years of what it's like to be the one that needs to be lifted up. In the last three and a half years for us with our daughter's surgery and my cancer, there were times when I was so blessed by the community of God's people because you lifted me up. Little prayer cards, emails that you sent, texts that said you were praying for me. Some of you helped us out financially, and so we see that in the text. Some people were helping materially, but some people were helping spiritually, and some people were helping practically. Coming over and cutting the grass at my house. Appreciate Bill Alexander. He specifically knows that I like my grass cut a certain way, and so Bill made sure that the grass got cut the way I like it. Because you know how it is when somebody does something for you as a favor, and you're like... Thanks, I appreciate it, but that's not exactly what I was hoping for. But I've also learned to humble myself in those moments and to not miss the forest for the trees. Is my heart filled with gratitude that they would even have a heart to love me enough to try to serve me? Friends, this is what fellowship brings for us, shared lives together. And the transforming work of the gospel is amazing to me because before I became a Christian, I mocked what Christians did. I thought, I thought you should be able to make it on your own in this life because that's what the world teaches you. But all these years later, I look back and I realize that, no, I was the fool. I was the one who tried to live life on my own, and at the end of the day, it was a train wreck. No, I need you, and we need each other. And that's what this text is calling us to do is to have fellowship with one another. The third thing is the breaking of bread. Now, there's debate amongst the scholars about exactly what this means. A few different views are, they're just talking about having a shared meal together, like in a home. Uh, others are saying, no, it, it primarily refers to the Lord's Supper. And then some commentators, and this is where I would side on this, is they say it's probably a little bit of both. It's sort of interchangeable. But the idea is that fellowship around the concept of food was critical to the early church. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together, okay, so that's the formal part, and breaking bread in their homes, so there's an informal part, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. 
just being together as the people of God, sharing a meal together, or taking the Lord's Supper together should, should generate in our hearts a gladness and a generosity towards others because when we partake of the meal, we remember that everything that we have comes from God. What do you and I have that we have not received? And those meals that we have in each other's homes and with each other at a restaurant, these are all gifts of God to us to remind us of his sustaining grace. You see, if just for a moment he decided, I'm going to take away all the food, we wouldn't last very long. But day by day and just incidental and inconsequential times, it's just breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, God is reminding us all day long of how much he provides for us and how much he cares for us. Now, in this text, we don't want to make it prescriptive. It doesn't mean that every believer needs to meet every day. But what I want us to get out of this is that there's a pattern, a pattern of breaking bread together with regularity and consistency. And in the letter to the Hebrews, it says, don't neglect the meeting together. It's the same kind of idea, the same concept. And sometimes it means that it's a church gathered, like here this morning, but sometimes it's the church scattered. It's when we go off and have a one-on-one -on -one coffee with somebody or we invite somebody over to our home and we have fellowship and break bread together in different ways. Here in the text, they were going to Solomon's portico in Jerusalem, a big hall on east side of the complex. It was out in the outer court. But then it immediately says, but they also did this in their homes. And why is breaking bread in our homes important? Well, see, when I'm in this big room with you, I can see you, and I can say hi, and I can smile, and I might find out a little bit about whether you had a good or a bad week. But given time constraints and the volume of people in this room, I'm not actually going to know much about you. But when we sit down together, and we have a meal together, and we talk, well, then we have an opportunity to listen to one another, and to hear one another, to cry with one another to encourage one another. You see, when we get together in these smaller contexts, it's when we can be known, and it's when we can know others. And so we listen, and we learn about others' needs. We have fellowship that includes sacrificial giving and sharing, but sometimes I don't know what to do for other people until I actually spend some time with them. And so meals together allow us time to talk and to discuss and to learn from each other. And it says in verse 47 that these communal meals were marked by exuberant joy, praising God. You see, having fellowship with one another and breaking bread is actually a privilege. We get to do this. We get to know our brothers and sisters. We get to learn about where they have needs and how we can serve them because, friends, in the Christian life, it's better to give than to receive. These are principles taught to us in God's word. And so there was exuberant joy as they met together and they saw the grace of God in each other's lives. And I want to encourage us as a church to take advantage of our church meals, the bigger meals, member meetings, the ministry meals, like today's uh, military ministry or 515, they usually have food, the men's and women's meetings, like the breakfast coming up for the women, the college and career ministries always have food. Why do you think that is? Well, it's intentional. We want to gather together and break bread together so that we can actually get to know one another. So I want to encourage you, participate in those means of grace. 
And let's be devoted to the context where we can be fully known and fully loved, but also seek to be fully, to fully know and to fully love others. You see, breaking bread is a wonderful means of grace for building Christian community. Fourth is prayer. The fourth means of grace are the prayers. And it's plural. It's not like we just pray once a week. No, it's the prayers. And that could be private prayer. It could be public prayer. But the idea is the Christian community, when they gathered together, there was this aspect of they knew that they needed to be humbly dependent on God. And so stopping and acknowledging God in their midst, giving thanks for the food that he provides, offering up our petitions, making our needs known to God and doing it as the body of Christ and the people of God, well, that's a normative part and an essential part of being the people of God. We strengthen one another when we all recognize that, you know what? We all need him. Nobody's going to skate through without needing any help. No, we all need to be humbly dependent on the Lord. And we have opportunities for prayer, whether it's the Sunday morning prayer or the Saturday morning prayer. I so love getting those little cards that say, hey, we were praying for you. I got one in my box yesterday from the Saturday morning prayer. And they specifically went to Psalm 71 and just talked about how they were praying for me from that psalm. And it was just so encouraging. So what a privilege and what a blessing. We get to do this for one another, to lift one another up in prayer. And so, friends, let's be a praying church. Let's heed the example here in the scriptures, this principle of prayer, and let's apply it in our lives and demonstrate our humble dependence on God because it's an essential means of grace for the people of God. So verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves. Think about it. It's not passive. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, as I said at the beginning, this is going to look differently for everybody. But let verse 42 just sink in your heart for a little bit. And maybe this week, chew on a little bit and pray about it. How are these four things functioning in our lives together, both corporately, but also for us individually? And where might God want us to grow and change and how we apply these things in our lives? You know, there can be many things that keep us from this. Maybe you've had a bad experience in a church, and if that's your case, I'm sorry for that. Churches can be hard sometimes because we hurt each other, and sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes we don't mean to, but people get offended, and, and yet God's Word shows us a way out redemptively for how we can resolve conflicts and help one another. But if you've had a bad experience, I want to encourage you, don't give up. Continue to put your confidence in God's Word and find a church community that's going to teach you the right way to live, but also model the right way to live, where you can be fully functioning and you can receive, but also give of the gifts that God has given to you. And if you don't see your need for the church and you like being alone, I would just pray and ask for the Lord to give you some conviction about what his desire is for you to be part of the body of Christ. And so let's evaluate and let's see what God would have for us. Because, and this is the second point, I'll be much more brief. The second point is this. Jesus' disciples experienced the glorious effects of life together. This passage is filled with several different things that tell us just how great this is to live this way. And I want to draw attention to them. The first is found in verse 43. It's awe. It says, and awe came upon every soul. You see, what was happening is that as the Holy Spirit moved in their midst, 
and the word of God was preached, the people experienced the awe-inspiring presence of God. Like, let's be honest. Like, if all of a sudden today God brought 3,000 people to faith in Christ and they all just were all lined up outside say, hey, we'd like to come in, like, we'd be pretty shocked, right? Pretty amazed. Well, that's what they were. They were seeing God's active presence going, wow, God's just so much bigger than we thought because prior to the Holy Spirit coming down, they're up in a room and they're praying or going, wow, I wonder what's going to happen next. And all of a sudden, in God's timing, boom, all of a sudden, 3,000 people are added to their numbers and awe came upon them. And this awe was continual. They kept seeing God on the move and at work in their midst. And God's active presence surrounded them as the Spirit kept bringing people to faith. As I said earlier in verse 47, it says, and day by day, people were being added to their numbers. And so there was no shortage of being able to be in awe of God. And sometimes it's big and miraculous things like 3,000 people coming to faith. Sometimes it's really small things that we share with one another and we're amazed at God's goodness. I had a situation this week where I was talking with a guy and he started to tell me about a really tough situation in his life that he had been praying about and, and really wasn't sure how any of this was ever going to work out in a way that he would really be excited about. And then he started rattling off all these different things that happened in his life and in the lives of people around him that all lined up to the point where he literally, his jaw was sort of dropping going, I cannot believe God did this. You see, in his own strength, he had no way to see a way forward, and yet God had everything in control. God knew exactly how to bless this person and when to bless this person on God's timetable and in God's ways. Because the reality is his ways are better than our ways. And this person, as they recounted the story of God's amazing grace, I saw the wonder in his eyes. I saw him articulate the active presence of God, and his heart was filled with joy. He was just so glad to be able to tell somebody how he saw God at work. And so that characterizes the Christian community, and awe comes upon every soul. And there's the ministry of the Spirit in verse 43. And many wonders and signs were being th uh, done through the apostles. And as they were teaching God's word and as they were ministering with the gifts that God had given to them, especially bringing healings to pass, these were direct manifestations of the merciful work of God in their midst. And so they saw the Spirit of God at work. And it was changing people's lives spiritually but also physically. And these wonders and signs validated the teachings that Jesus had given to them. And it confirmed the ministry of the apostles. And it testified to the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. This is one of the benefits of being in community. There's great awe. We see the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work. They receive respect from outsiders in 47b. It says, and having favor with all the people. Now that one can be one that we scratch our head a little bit because in our current culture, it's like, yeah, people aren't really saying a lot of favorable things about Christians. And yet, that's on a macro level. I, I would say to you that if you have somebody who's hostile, hostile to the gospel, if you keep loving them with the love of Christ, you'd be amazed at what God might do to change their mind. I had a person in my life a few years ago who openly said, like, I, I am anti-God. Like, I don't like Christians. I don't 
I don't really like this at all because I think Christians are mean. I think they're bigoted, et cetera, et cetera. And you've heard the stories. But God had placed this person in my life, and so I had the opportunity to continue to show this person kindness and love and understanding. And we just developed a friendship over time. And about two years after knowing this person, uh, they were over at the house one time, and they were really excited to tell us something. And I was like, hey, so what's going on? And this person said, hey, well, I was in this conversation, and somebody was really bashing Christians, but I want you to know I stood up for you. <laughs> that person's not a Christian yet, but she views me favorably now as a follower of Christ because I invested my life into hers and her family. And day by day, we're, we're just planting seeds. It's, it's God who ultimately changes hearts, but we have a role to play. This is one of the benefits. Another one is mutual care. Looking again at verses 44 and 45, and all who believed were together and had all in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. John Stott has a wonderful quote here. He says, Christian fellowship is Christian caring. And Christian caring is Christian sharing. I mean, it's just a sweet picture, isn't it? God transforms our lives so that we can be so radically different. But in order to be able to live that out and to benefit from it, we have to be in each other's lives. We have to know each other, to know how to care for one another. And then finally, and I'll end with this. Verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, the Christian community doesn't save anyone. Only God does that. But the Christian community creates a context for God to bring people to where they can experience his love, they can hear his truth, they can be prayed for and ministered to in ways that are probably very different than anything they've ever experienced. And it's a radical new community that we invite people into. And God uses it to draw people unto himself. And so, friends, as we go through this vision series, as we think about how we are displaying the body of Christ and the love of Christ, may our expectations for what we are doing as a church community, may they be raised. May we have great thoughts about what God wants to do, not only when we gather together in a large meeting, but also in the smaller, smaller meetings that we take place in or have, like our community groups, where people just gather together and do the Christian life together applying the principles that we see here in this text. The main point is Jesus' disciples are a spirit-filled community displaying Christ to one another and to a watching world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. Thank you for your word. And we do pray that you would bless the preaching of your word and may it affect our hearts and minds and may it change the way we live. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.